Amen. If, if God starts to move on you, just respond. Amen. He's wanting to do something powerful in your life. He's taking us to greater things. Amen. Amen. God is so good. I know that you have been standing for a little bit, so I'm going to let you be seated. And I want to just let you know that we are looking forward today. We are looking out to the fields. Amen. They are wide and ready to harvest. And uh, I'm Pastor A.J. Dummett. For those of you that don't know, and for those of you watching online, I'm the lead pastor here at the Crossroads. And I want to welcome all of our guests that are with us today. We are so glad that you have joined us today. What a great day, amen, that it has been so far and that it is uh, going to be. And I know that a lot of people check us out online. And uh, some of you are watching through Facebook Live. We welcome you. We're so glad that you are with us today. Uh, I know some sometimes we're separated by states. We got people that are uh, across the U.S. That, that tune in and sometimes even people around the world that tune in, amen, and watch. Uh, one of our, our missionaries, uh, the missionaries in Costa Rica, sometimes they tune in and they watch our services, amen. And uh, it's exciting to see even what God is doing through our live stream, and we are working to improve that. So thank you for being with us, amen. We want you to check us out in person. And, uh, you can have a move of God in your living room, but man, it's awesome when we all get together, amen. Uh, the first week of our series, we looked back at what God has done to get us to this point. And I challenged everyone in that, in that day, I challenged everyone to look back at their own lives as they know best what God has done for them personally. And then the second week of our series, we looked up to God because He's our help. And He is really, truly the only help that's going to, to, to help us to get where we need to be. And we know that He has brought us this far. We know he's going to carry us through, so we look up to God, amen. That's where our help comes from. And today, we are going to look out to the harvest. This is not just about us and our families exclusively. We are told to pray for and reach for the harvest. It's not a new message uh, for most of you. You've heard me preach it before, uh, something similar to this. But you're going to hear things today maybe in a different way than you've heard them before. And I take my text today out of Matthew chapter 9, and we'll read just a few verses. It's in your e-bulletin. Again, I do strongly urge you to get the e-bulletin. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, and the New American Standard Bible reads like this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Amen. Jesus, speak to us today. Let us hear your voice. God, don't let us get hung up on just my, my speaking voice, but let us hear your voice through the preached word today. And God, we will give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. I recently read an article, and I've attached the link in the e-bulletin for you, but it's an article in Forbes called Oscar Schindler. The Untold Story. It was written by Stuart Anderson, and he talks about the historical figure Oscar Schindler, uh, the man that is credited with saving many Jewish lives during the Holocaust. He references David M. Crow's book, Oscar Schindler, The Untold Account of His Life, Wartime Activities, and the True Story Behind the List. While there will always be those who question the motives of others, those who have examined Schindler's efforts find him heroic. 
He says the defining measure of Schindler's commitment to doing everything possible to save his Jewish workers came in the fall of 1944. When Oscar chose to risk everything to move his armaments factory to Brunlitz, and I know I'm not saying that right, but we're going to just do the best we can. But David Crow writes, citing Dr. Moshe uh, Besky, who was saved by Oscar Schindler during the Holocaust. He says, Oscar could have easily have closed his, his uh, Krakow operations and retreated westward uh, with the profits that he had already made. Instead, he chose to risk his life and his money to save as many Jews as he could. At this point in the war and his life, he says, I think Oscar Schindler was absolutely determined to do everything he could to save as many Jews as he could, regardless of the cost, either personal or financial, writes Crow. During the last two years of the war, he had undergone a dramatic moral transformation, and in many ways, he came more and more to associate himself with his Jews than with the other Germans. According to Dr. Mordecai Paldil, the head of Righteous Among the Nations Department at Yad Vashem, uh, there was no person more deserving of the righteous Gentile than Oscar Schindler during uh, Raoul Wallenberg, Crow agrees. And I think that Oscar Schindler's he uh, heroism is unique because of the fact that what he did both in Krakow and Brunlitz, uh, they, they took place in the midst of the most horrible killing center in modern history. Moreover, while his most dramatic efforts took place during the last year of the war, Oscar Schindler's efforts to help and to later save Jews was a stance that evolved over three or four years. Oscar Schindler was a man, a great man. He saved the lives of more than 1,000 Jews during the Holocaust. The imperfections in his character and the nuances in the historical record only make his story more remarkable. Not a perfect man. By many accounts, not even really a good man, but in some ways, a great man. I say this today because uh, the bottom line of this story is simply this. Oscar Schindler risked his personal and financial resources to save Jews perishing from, from them perishing in the, the death camps. And you and I should have that same kind of passion to save people from perishing eternally in hell's fire. Amen. Jesus did his part, right? Amen. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness according to Matthew 9.35. But it was when he saw the crowds, it was when he saw the multitude, somebody say he saw them. He recognized that they were there. He took note of the fact that they needed to be saved from the eternal death camps and that's when he was moved. Was when he saw him. That's what the Bible says. When you, when you and I see the people as Jesus saw the crowds, as Oscar Schindler saw the Jews in Nazi Germany, it will move us. It should move us to action. It should help us when we look out and we see that there are lost and dying. There are those that are going to a hell that was never intended for them. It should do something to us. If we are to see the lives changed and then discipled in Christ. We need to see the harvest as Jesus sees the harvest of spiritually lost people dying and facing a Christless eternity. So you say, Pastor, what is our goal? Well, you know, I know that we are talking about looking out. What is our goal? Our goal at this church, we want to reach our community. 
and the communities and counties around us with no United Pentecostal Church in them. We want to grow this church and we want to plant churches. We want to have, we have Purpose Institute now. We want to have more leaders and ministers and pastors train. And that's how we're doing it through Purpose Institute. And that's how we're accomplishing this vision. Amen. Those of you that are in Purpose Institute, amen, you are being trained. You are being prepared. Amen. I, I tell them, just about every time I say, look, you're probably going to pastor someday. You're probably going to be uh, not just uh, in a lead position, but you're probably going to be a lead pastor someday. You need to get that in your thinking. Why? Because if we're going to reach our city and we're going to reach the surrounding communities, if we're going to touch the world, we've got to look out and we've got to see the harvest. We've got to see, amen, what God has intended for this church and for the ministries that are coming out of this church. Amen. So we look out to the fields because the scripture says they are white and ready to harvest. What is our physical dream that we can, we can see? You know, sometimes we want to see things. We want to see what God is going to do, right? What is our physical dream? Now, those of you, you've been around this week, you've heard about uh, using stewarding, managing your time, your talent, and your treasure for God. So what is our physical dream, and what will your physical dream uh, be in this church? Well, we want to pay our mortgage off. Yeah, that's weak. That was really weak. I said we want to pay our mortgage off, and three of you said amen. When I say we want to pay our mortgage off, I should hear, yeah! There should be excitement about that. We want to pay our mortgage off, and at least way down. If we, if we can't get it all the way paid off, we want to at least pay it way down. Why? So we can pay more full-time ministries, and we can help more missionaries, and we can start more churches. Amen. That's why we want to do this. Paying that mortgage will help us to be in a better position to start funding more church plants as we have the leadership being trained to do so. And then we need to fix and we need to completely recover our parking lot for guests and our members to be able to park their vehicles while they're here. What else do we need to do? We need to construct a modern educational wing for our youth and our children and a fellowship hall that will accommodate social gatherings. We, if we can't do that here, we need to relocate to another property where we can have everything just the way we need to so that we can reach more families for the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about vision, what God is wanting to do in this church and in this community and from this body of Christ. Those are our physical dreams, but what's our spiritual dream? How are we going to have a greater impact? Well, we are going to raise up true disciples. True disciples. True disciples that follow and they obey Jesus willingly. Amen. I, I, it's not enough just to follow. I want to be obedient. Amen. When he speaks, I want to be obedient. What, what else is our spiritual dream? The salvation of souls. And I know that that goes without saying, but we want to have a true cultural impact in our community. I want people, whenever they think about church, I want them to think about the crossroads. Whenever they think I need healing, I want them to think I need to go to the crossroads. Come on, somebody. When they think I need deliverance, I want them to think, let's go to the crossroads. I wish you could hear me. This ought to be the go-to church in this community, not because of you, not because of me, but because God's power is moving in this place. Amen. 
I want to see physical and spiritual healing on a regular basis. Seeing people heal when they come to our church. Seeing spiritual prodigals come home. Amen. We've already started to see it, but we're about to see a great influx of those who have walked away, but they're coming back. Come on, somebody. God's going to do it, and he's going to do it through this church. He's going to do it through this body. We want to see reconciled relationships, reconciled with God, reconciled in our marriages with our parents and our children that have been broken apart. Amen. Our worship will be strengthened when we are made whole. So we want to see reconciled relationships. I wish somebody would just say, let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let this be the church that people have relationships reconciled in. Amen. And just in case you haven't picked up on it, the key point of this message today is that when we look out to the fields like Jesus commanded, we need to be moved to action. It, it can't just be, I recognize that, I see that, I know that, and I'm going to turn my eyes back. We sing a song and it says, uh, we will open up our eyes. We will not ignore their cries. Amen. We, we sometimes, we, we sing that. And sometimes I wonder when we sing stuff like that, do we really mean it? Because we sing it, but then, you know, let's just be honest. We sing it, but then we're so busy going through our day. Sometimes it's like, you know, we know somebody needs to talk to us, wants to talk to us, but we're at Walmart and we just came to pick up some milk. I just want to get in and get out and they're already making me walk to the back of the store. That gives a lot of opportunity for people, amen, to connect with me. I'm telling you, I can't go to Walmart without seeing somebody. It's just impossible. My wife will tell you. And sometimes she's like, honey, we need to hurry. And, you know, we need to get in and get out. Forget about it. It's Walmart. You want to get in and get out? Go to Dollar General. I mean, that's about, that's about how it is. But this is what Isaiah said when he was, when he was being touched and God was speaking to him. Uh, he says in, in Isaiah 6, 8, in the NIV, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I'm saying that God's calling us today. I'm saying that the touch of God is on this place today. And I wonder if there's anybody who would be willing to say, Here am I. I wonder if there's anybody that would step up today and say, God, send me whatever you need to do, uh, God, to reach the lost. Whatever you need to do to reach my family. Whatever you need to do, God, send me. For the last several years in this church, um, it's, it's, you know, it's not really a mystery. If you've been around here, you, you know this. I'm not trying to you know, uh, tell you something you don't know, but if you've been around here, you know that for the last several years, we have been praying over our city and over our region, over our state and over our world. This is very biblical. It's very biblical that our witness uh, should not be confined to one geographical location. I, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, just stay with me, okay? How many of you drive more than 15 minutes to get to this church on Sunday. Stand up. If you drive more than 15 minutes, I want you to stand up. All right. And there's, there's some that are not here today that, that probably because of distance. But you drive more than 15 minutes. Okay. You could be seated. Say, so why is this so important? It's so 
important that we not get attached to one geographical location and think, you know, that's got to be the only place, uh, you know, our, our, our witness, you know, we're going to reach Radcliffe, right? This is what Jesus said in, in Acts 1.8. He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that according to Jesus, and I'm not going to get into the, all the Greek and all the stuff that you could really pull out of this verse because really the, the word witnesses actually means martyrs, which means you're walking around, you're, you're, you're actually dead to your flesh, dead to yourself, and because of the power of the Holy Ghost that's living inside, he's now living inside of you. So you are kind of like a dead man walking, but his spirit is living in you. I'm not going to go into all that. But I will say that when you receive the Holy Ghost, it should be automatic that you are a witness. should be automatic. It shouldn't be like, uh, yes, I go to a church. People should be like, what church do you go to? You shouldn't have to go up and tell somebody, hey, come to church with me. I go to church. Why? Because Jesus says, you're going to be a witness. People are going to be able to tell. They're just going to know there's something different about you. Once the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you're going to be a witness. Now, I, I want to go just a little further, and I'm not trying to put words in Jesus' mouth, but notice how he says you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So more specifically, we know that God, through our witness, wants to save people in the communities surrounding us that do not have the United Pentecostal Church. So we started praying for counties. Why? Because Jerusalem, that could be your city. In all Judea, that's your region. In Samaria, that's the country. And then in the uttermost parts of the earth. So when we go to Costa Rica, that's part of us going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I realize some of you are like, Costa Rica is not the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, that's all right. We can, we can set you up to go to Tanzania if you want to. Got an offer for you. You can go. Go ahead. We got it. Place for you. You can, you can go and work. So some people are saying, well, Pastor, what are, you, what are you saying? I'm saying we started praying for these counties and these county seats in our neighboring counties because we are in Hardin County right now. And so we started praying. This is how we specifically prayed, that God would send us contacts and people to connect with in these communities that could help us plant churches in these areas. How many of you know that that's what we're, we've been praying? All right, most of you that you've been here a little while, you know that's what we've been praying. So for several years now, we've been praying for these counties. The first one is Meade County. We've been praying for Meade County. Meade County has a population of 28,751 at the last census. And uh, if you have the e-bulletin and you're following along, guess what? You can pull up all these statistics for yourself because there's links in the e-bulletin for you. But Meade County uh, has the county seat of Brandenburg. And guess what? We have reached out in Brandenburg. We've even done Bible studies. We've held services there. We've held services at the amphitheater. Uh, we are still believing that God is going to give us this area. We are praying, amen, that God would give us contacts and connections in Meade County. And then there's Breckenridge County. Breckenridge County has a population of 20,000 people. That is uh, just to our, the, the west of us. 
and, and there's 20,000 people in Breckenridge County. We are praying for Hardensburg. That is the county seat that God will give us the contacts and the connections to help us establish a church there. I, I know it seems like, uh, it seems like a, 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 a little thing, 20,000 people, right? It's not, not really a big deal. But guess what? If they were to drive to our church, it would take them longer than 15 minutes to get here. Then we pray for LaRue County. LaRue County uh, has a population of 14,127 people. Guess what? We have people in our church who live in and around LaRue County. There's some that are not here today, but I see some that are here today. We have some people from Magnolia. Amen. They live, and then we have some people that live close by uh, LaRue County in Sonora. And, And guess what? Good news, we're looking at starting a life group, amen, in the county seat of, of LaRue County, which is Hodgenville, even as soon as the, the end of next month. Amen. God is going to help us as we reach out and as we establish, amen, these opportunities. And then there's Nelson County. Nelson County is uh, just to the east of us. And Nelson County has a population of 44,875 people. We have done outreaches and crusades in Bardstown. And we believe that God is going to help us make even more connections and see a thriving church planted in Bardstown, Kentucky. Why? Because the harvest is plenteous. Amen. Because there are people that if they drove from Bardstown, it would take them longer than 15 minutes to get to Radcliffe. I, I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying. We're, I can't start all these churches. I can't pastor all these churches. But God dealt with me several years ago that we better start training people because we are going to be sending out pastors and we're going to be planting churches. And this, come on somebody, this community that we live in is not the only community that God has called us to reach. He called us to reach Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it doesn't stop there. Now we are reaching out in Bullock County. Bullock County, Kentucky is... Uh, directly to uh, to our northeast, Amen, and it has a population of seventy seven thousand seven hundred and twenty seven people. It's the tenth most populated county in Kentucky. We have several people now who live in Bullock County, Amen. My in laws live in Bullock County, Amen. There are some of our people that attend both services. I see some other people that live in Bullock County, Amen. Sitting over here on my right hand side, why? And they drive every Sunday. They drive all the way here to be with us in service. It's longer than a fifteen minute drive, Amen. And. Uh, we are excited because we already have a life group that we have meeting in Shepherdsville on Saturdays, and you just never know who's going to show up. We regularly have anywhere from 10, 12, 16 people in attendance. We're believing that we will see a church started in Bullock County, amen, in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, within the next few years. Why? Because there's a need for an apostolic church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Amen. Some of y'all can't get very excited about that, but there's about five people over to my right that got real excited about us having a church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Amen. 
And yes, we care about our county. We are in Hardin County. Hardin County has a population of 107,573 people. It is the sixth most populated county in Kentucky. Obviously, this is our county. And we're reaching out in many ways right here in our county. We have families and people living in every city of Hardin County except for West Point. And for the last 18 years, I have been here that we have reached out and we have touched literally hundreds of lives. We have been in involved in the community and we will continue to do so as we watch God grow and expand this church to greater than ever before. Why? Because there's 107,000 people in this county that need a church that's on fire for God. And I know, you know where I'm going. We've got another county that we're in, Jefferson County. Jefferson County doesn't necessarily, I mean, it touches Hardin County, but not necessarily. It's like the very tip of Hardin County, where West Point is, is where Jefferson County picks up. Jefferson County has a population, and I'm talking, you got to keep in mind, this is Kentucky. This is not including southern Indiana, right over the border. We're not talking about Corridon and New Albany and Clarksville and all the surrounding areas. We're not talking about Shelbyville and all the other ones that are real close. I'm talking about just Jefferson County has a population of 765,352 people. It's the number one most populated county in Kentucky. Yes, I know. Some of you are like, well, we have a church in Jefferson County. Yes, we do. Thank God. Amen. Thank God. God, God dealt with us a while back, and I know uh, that, that when we started the church, there were some people that thought, oh, no, pastor's leaving us. He's, he, he's going to go to Louisville, and he's going to leave us. I, look, God did not call me to leave you. Amen. He called me to start churches, and so we're starting churches. Amen. And we're training other people so that other people, amen, can help us start and pastor these churches. And so let, let, me, just, let me just see if I can help you with this. We have this, this church in southwest Louisville Metro, and God is going to help us uh, to grow that church. Amen? There, there's a, a family that's here, and they live two minutes from that church, and they've already come to me and said, God's put it on our heart. We want to see that church grow. Thank God. Because until they said that, we didn't have somebody that, that was living right there that said we want to see this church grow. We were all trying to make it happen. But God knows what he's doing, amen, and God puts people in the right place. But, but let me see if I can help you. God's going to help us, but let me see if I can help you put this in perspective. I, I want to talk about Jefferson County just for a minute. In Jefferson County, we currently have about eight or nine Pentecostal, United Pentecostal churches, about nine apostolic churches total, with a constituency, total constituency, everybody. And I'm saying on our best Sunday, we have about 1,000 people in service. You know what that means? That means that we have 764,352 people that are not in service every Sunday. I, I don't know if that bothers you, but it bothers me. It, it bothers me. If the churches we have in Jefferson County were adequate right now, that would mean that each church would need to be able to grow to a number of 84,928 people. If every church grew and grew and grew and even had multiple services each weekend, let's just say that they could handle double the crowd that they have right now physically in their, in their space. Let's say that they would have double the crowd each week and they held three services on Saturday and four services on Sunday. We could then cover a total of 14,000 people in service on the weekends 
And then we would only have 750,352 people left to reach in Jefferson County. Well, what? Well, Pastor, you know, God's going to help us start churches, and there's going to be a lot more churches, and, and surely God's going to call even more people. Yes, I believe that. So what if we have 20 churches in Jefferson County? that averaged 500 people in each service, and we had 10,000 people going to church each service, and maybe we could get them to hold three services on Sunday and two services on Saturday. Uh, That would be a total of 50,000 people. Then we could reach a total of 15.3% of Jefferson County. What if we could have 30 churches or 50 churches or 100 churches in Jefferson County? Impossible, you say? It's not. It's not. In Houston, Texas, uh, they have over 200 United Pentecostal churches in the Houston metro area. Well, that's Texas. I wish somebody would say, well, that's Kentucky. Well, that's Kentucky. We ought to come on, somebody. If somebody's going to set a standard, why don't we be the church that says, God, let it start with us. Let it start with us. Let us start about 10 of those churches that we need in Louisville. God, help us to start those churches in Jefferson County. I know it seems like I'm dreaming, but what if we looked out to the harvest field? What if we realized that the harvest field is white and ready to harvest? I know some of you, are, you don't like numbers, and I'm frying, you're scrambling your eggs right now. And I'm being very conservative with these numbers. I'm going with the last, the last stated census numbers, and I'm, I'm just trying to give you a, a, an overall big picture. I just want you to see what the field looks like. I just want you to notice that it's not just our 25,000 here in Radcliffe. I, I just want you to know that there's, there's life beyond who you see at Walmart. Do you realize that in our region, you add them up, you got the numbers, they're on the e-bulletin, you can add them up. Do you realize that just in our region, just in those counties that surround us, our county and the surrounding counties, and I'm not counting the other two counties because one of them already has a United Pentecostal Church in Litchfield, I'm not counting that one, but just in the counties that I mentioned, we have over one million souls. One million souls. And the scripture says, look out. Look out. We're too busy doing this. We're too busy looking in. We're too busy seeing what's, what's, what's wrong with us and what's going on with us. Over one million souls in our region. I don't want to stand before God. Pastor, why are you starting a church in Louisville? Because there's one million souls. Pastor, why do you want to start more churches? Because there's one million souls. I know, I know some people, they, they look at me funny and why do you want to pastor? I don't want to pastor two churches. I'd be totally happy pastoring just one or pastoring none. I love you, but I would really be happy if I could just be somebody's helper and I could minister and I could come support. Man, I'll run pro presenter. I'll run the sound. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'd love to do that. That's what I wanted to do, but God called me here. And God placed me here, and He gave me a bigger vision than just right here. Come on, somebody's got to reach. Somebody's got to stretch. Somebody's got to be willing to say, God, you can have my time, my talent, and my treasure like never before. Why? Because the harvest is plenteous. Just last week, Kayla walked in here. 
Kayla walked in with her daughter Abigail and her son Jaden, and she had made a connection with a couple from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and she had been baptized in a swimming pool at a hotel in Jesus' name. And she said, I started studying, and I started seeking after God like never before. And she said, I, I, I didn't know some of these things. I wasn't brought up like this. And she said to us, uh, I, I was finding out that I had not been baptized in Jesus' name. She said, so I realized I needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. And so she made this connection with this couple from Murfreesboro. They baptized her in the hotel pool. And then she said, and then I realized I have not received the Holy Ghost like they did in the Bible. She said, I wanted to receive the Holy Ghost like they did in the Bible. So she came here to our family week last week, and she came with Jaden, and she was down front. Amen. And when they made the, the, the altar call at the end, she came, and her and her son Jaden were both filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in a language that they hadn't learned before. Amen. That happened last Sunday. And I'm just saying that to say this. She is so hungry for the Word of God. She's been going. I, I'm, 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 I hope I'm not telling too much here, but she's been going to different services, and she's been hooking up with different people to do Bible study. She, this, she is so hungry for the Word of God. I've taught Bible studies to some people in this, in this room right now, and you just looked at me like I had lost my mind. When we taught Kayla a Bible study the other day, she just kept, it was like she was soaking it all up. She's like, oh, Amen. Oh, yes. Amen. That's right. She was, I was like, man, there's, I, I'm not seeing that kind of hunger. And it was like, it was like a breath of fresh air for me. I said, God, there's hungry people. Amen. There's hungry people. There's hungry people. So I just came to remind us today, there are hungry and hurting people out there in droves, and God is calling us to look out today. Don't, don't get so focused, amen, on what's wrong in your life. Don't get so focused on, what, you know, the, the best thing you can do if you're having problems right now, the best thing you can do is look at the harvest. You can say, you know what, God's got a bigger plan for me. I know this because He wants to use me in the harvest. Well, some of you, some of you don't even know where I'm at right now. I'm... I'm off in another county for you. God wants to use you. He, he wants to use you. Amen? The, the, the fields are white. He says, pray that, that the Lord of the harvest would send workers, would send laborers, would send people who are willing to go into the harvest. And you say, what are you saying? I'm saying God is calling us to look out. Because when we look and we are exposed to what is going on and we see the state of our world. I mean, do you need, do you need any more wake-ups? Do you need any more wake-ups? Do, do you know that uh, my, my mother sent me this the other day. How many of you have seen the, the, the video on Facebook where they've implanted the guy's hand with the, 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 the microchip and they did a, a, a successful banking transaction right there on the screen? How many of you saw that? Okay. Good, only five of us have seen that. So you can look it up. If you want it, I'll send it to you. My mother can send it to you. That's fine. They're already, right now, it's not a, it's not a hoax. It's not a, it's not a farce. It's, it's actual reality. They have the technology. They can scan a microchip in your body now and do banking transactions. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And you think we need to waste time? No. No, the harvest is plenteous. The, the harvest is ready to be harvested. There are people who are, there are people out there like Caleb that are saying, come on, give me more. I just want more. I, I, I realize that I don't have it. I, I want what you have. And we, we can come to church and we, we can, you know, you know, pump our spiritual muscle and say, oh, God is good to us. God has done great things. But we've got to look out. 
As I close today on a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, I want to tell you this story about this. There was a life-saving station there once. The building was primitive and there was just one boat, but the members of the life-saving station, they were committed and they kept a constant watch over the sea. When a ship went down, they unselfishly went out day or night to save the lost. Because so many lives were saved by that station, it became a famous station. Consequently, many people wanted to be associated with that life-saving station to give their time, their talent, and their money to support the important work. New boats were brought. New crews were recruited. A formal training session was offered. As the membership in the life-saving station grew, some of the members, they became unhappy that the building was so primitive and the equipment was so outdated and they wanted a better place to welcome the survivors pulled from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and they put better furniture in the enlarged and newly decorated building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for all of its members. They met regularly, and when they did, it was apparent how they loved one another. They greeted each other, they hugged each other, and they shared with one another the events that had been going on in their lives. But fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this for them, professionals. About this time, the large ship wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought into the life-saving station boatloads of cold, wet, dirty, sick, and half-drowned people. Some of them had black skin, and some of them had yellow skin. Some of them could speak English well, and some of them could hardly speak it at all. Some were first-class cabin passengers of the ship, and some were the deckhands. And the beautiful meeting place became a place of chaos. The plush carpets got dirty and some of the exquisite furniture got scratched and so the property committee immediately had a shower built outside the house where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a rift in the membership and most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities for they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal fellowship of the members. Other members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose, and they pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all those various kinds of people who would be shipwrecked, they could begin their own life-saving station a little bit further down the coast. And do you know what? That's what they did. As the years passed, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old it evolved into a place to meet regularly for fellowship, for committee meetings, and for special training sessions about their mission. But few went out to the drowning people. The drowning people were no longer welcomed in that life-saving station. So another life-saving station was, was founded further on down the coast, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of adequate meeting places with ample parking and plush uh, carpeting. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Jesus said, look out. Look out. I wonder if, if we would just close our eyes right now. And I wonder if you could just, in, in your mind's eye, if you could just see the people that God is reaching for. I don't know if, 
you, you can think of maybe the last event you attended, whether it was in Louisville or Hardin County or wherever it was, and, and there were just there was just people bumping into each other everywhere. Thousands of people all in one place. And I wonder if you could just picture in your mind, just let's let's just picture thousands of people. And now I want you to picture the actual number of people that have actually had a chance to hear the truth. They've been able to be in a, in a service like you're in today. I'm going to tell you that number is probably less than 100. If we could just see the people. So now I want you to kind of refocus your imagination. And I want you to see the people that you run into every day, every week. When was the last time that we prayed for them? When was the last time that we fasted and said, God, give me a breakthrough with Sally so that I can teach her a Bible study. Give me a a breakthrough with Tom so that I I could maybe bring him to church with me one time or he would come to life group. When when was the last time that that it, it bothered you so much that you did something about it. I want you to hear me. You open your eyes. I want you to hear me. We get fired up about abortion, and we should. We, I mean, it's, it's now not just abortion that we have to worry about. We have to worry about murder because that's what happens whenever the baby's born, and then they let it die. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that's, it's not just abortion anymore. We have to worry about infant, infanticide. Say, Pastor, you know, that's, don't, don't get all political. And we worry about, you know, different agendas, right? These competing agendas. We worry about, listen, what we're worried about is we're worried about all the darkness. The light is not afraid of the darkness. The light does not worry about the darkness. The light just shines. That's why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Quit arguing with people. Quit quit fussing with people. Quit getting so upset about it. Man, you've got the greatest thing going. The love of Jesus shining through you. You are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill. Would you stand with me? As I close today, I'm going to make a two-fold altar call. The first altar call that I'm going to make is for those of you that God has already filled you with His Spirit. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. And you know this message was specifically for me. God, I'm not doing what I can. I need to be moved into action. God, I'm not active enough in the kingdom. I've been so focused on making money. I've been so focused on family things and hobbies. I've been so focused on all all this stuff with my career. God, I I need to, to just look out for a second and see the harvest. Would you help me to see the harvest the way that you do it today? Would would you just let me see through your eyes today? Let me have that compassion. Let me have that heart that you have for the lost. And I want you, if if, if that's you today, I want you to hit your face right now. I want you to go to God in prayer. You can kneel right where you are. You can come to this altar if you want. I'm not not trying to make it difficult, but I wish you'd respond today. I I wish you would hear the heartbeat of God and say, God, I want to respond. I want to be who you want me to be, and I want to look out to the fields. And then those of you that are here today, there's going to be those of you that maybe 
And this is the second part of this altar call. There are those of you that you say, I've never received the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in a heavenly, God-given language. Or maybe you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name. Let me please invite you to this altar today. Let me tell you that all this that we did, every dollar that has been borrowed to, to make this place nice, every light fixture, every wall, every carpet square, every chair, every piece of uh, uh, sound equipment that we have and musical instrument that we have, it's all been done for one purpose, and that is that you would find salvation, that you would come and that you would be able to experience God's power for yourself, that he would fill you with his spirit, that we could baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ and see all of your sins be washed away. That's why we did it. That's why we're here. So let me encourage you. Amen to come to this altar today because everything going on in our campaign is for you to have a chance to be saved and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I open up this altar. Come today. You say, well, I'm not sure where to come. There are those that are praying. Amen. That some of these that are praying, they will turn around and they will pray with you as you are praying. And God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's why we're here today. I I beg of you, please don't sit idly today. Whether you're down here or you're praying at your seat, I I want you to reach out to God and let Him move us today with the harvest. Let Him move us today, amen, by His Spirit. And today can be the first day, amen, that everything changes. This can be the beginning, amen, of the relationship that God God has desired to have with you for so long. Would you reach out to him right now? Amen. Would you make your way to this altar? If you need the Holy Ghost, would you make your way to this altar and throw your hands up? You say, Pastor, I've prayed for the Holy Ghost before. Today is a new day. Why don't you come out of your seat and walk down to this altar and lift up your hands? God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He loves you more than you could even imagine.